It's Startups for the Rest of Us. And today I have a mostly bootstrap startup founder on the show. He is the founder of Postpone at postpone.app. We're going to talk about how he's grown Postpone from zero to mid six figures and how he came up with the idea by scratching his own itch. We talk about some early growth tactics he used, a recent price increase that was stressful but highly successful, the platform risk that he's experienced with Reddit, and more topics for bootstrap founders like yourself. It's a great interview, and I hope you enjoy it. And one more thing. We've recently reopened the doors for our online community, MicroConf Connect. MicroConf Connect is our virtual hallway track. It's a vibrant community of SaaS founders helping each other and discussing wins, challenges, and frankly, how to grow faster. A couple months ago, we paused new signups to improve the platform based on your requests. With MicroConf Connect 2.0, we're rolling out three membership tiers packed with new perks like weekly co-working, exclusive discounts, a searchable content library, and more. Whether you've been a member of Connect or not, you really should check it out, microconfconnect.com. And with that, let's dive into my conversation. Grant McConaughey, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Longtime listener of the show, and now, now you're going to be on it. Are you going to love listening to this episode and hearing your own voice? It is just going to drive me crazy, but I will force myself to do it. Yep. I, I view, it drives everyone crazy. I view interviews and talks, they're painful for me to watch, but they're game tape. Like, how can I get better as an interviewee, an interviewer, you know, or, or someone who's, who's doing a talk? Your app is Postpone. It's at postpone.app. Your H1 is the Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok scheduler for creators. Automate sharing your content across all your social media accounts and grow a following. So folks know you are a tiny seed company. You started developing Postpone in January of 2021. I guess like how did this come about? You know, folks who listen to this have either no ideas or a lot of ideas. <laughs> did you have a kajillion and you picked one or was it just so obvious to you this needed to get built? Yeah. And sorry, and just to clarify, it was January of 2020. Thank you. So started working on it uh, a couple months before COVID hit. And, and it really started as like a, a New Year's resolution project. I wanted to grow a following on on Twitter, you know, write blog posts and get some sort of following about software engineering and things like that. Um, I have a lot of respect for folks like Adam Wathen, who have built this like incredible following on Twitter and then found ways to build products that those folks are interested in. And it becomes this feedback loop where you're just building cool stuff for people. They're buying it, you're growing an audience, and that's it's just like this self-sustaining thing. Um, and so to do that, I really wanted to write blog posts and share them on Reddit as, as well as Twitter and, and you know other, other places. Um, and if I found that there wasn't really a Reddit scheduler that existed, um, or at least not one that I thought was uh, you know, very professionally looking, there's a couple that existed. Uh, and I remember thinking, you know, I feel like I I could do this. Maybe there's other folks who also want to post on Reddit and, and kind of treat Reddit the way they do their Twitter account or I guess Threads wasn't around at the time, but, you know, those kinds of like social media apps. And so I ended up just working on it and had this idea of like, why don't I build the Reddit app? I will use the Reddit app to market my own blog posts. I will write about building the Reddit app and it will become this sort of self-sustaining thing where I... I build the product, I use the product, I write about the product. And so that's really where it ended up starting, just kind of something I, I thought I needed myself. And, you know, hey, maybe other people will, will find value in this as well. So it was scratch your own itch, which 
cuts both ways. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're the only one that needs it or no one's willing to, you need it, but you really wouldn't be willing to pay for it and other people wouldn't or you can't reach the customer. There's a bunch of reasons why it potentially might not work to scratch your own itch. If someone comes to me with a scratch your own itch, I usually say, great, now find 10 other people who need it. You know, do some validation. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it, it gives you a little more certainty that it might be actually valuable. Did you do any validation or did you just dive into the code? So the timing of postpone is, is really a big part of the story as well. I started in January of 2020 because I was managing and just really missed building stuff. Um, and then March 2020 rolled around. And as we all know, COVID hit, uh, we're all staying at home. And so the project turned into this something to work on for fun. And I really didn't do a lot of validation because I, I just enjoyed working on it. I enjoyed having something that I could write about. And so there wasn't a lot of that validation, but over time, more and more people would kind of find it. And then that's where I would start, you know, I didn't seek validation, but it, it eventually came after building it for, for months and months and months uh, just for fun, really. And your, your day job was at Zapier, right? Everyone who's listening yes. to this would know it. So you were an engineer at Zapier and then kind of nights and weekends you were, you were building Postpone. And did it only take you, did you launch in March? So did it only take you a couple months to get to enough of an MVP that you felt like others could use it? Yeah, my, my whole goal for the year was to make a single dollar online. It's really just an excuse to sign up for a Stripe account and, you know, have a, have a small enough goal to just do something that, that someone could send me some money for and, you know, have some project that, that people hopefully find value in enough to, to pay for. Yeah, so I, I, I try to get it out as quickly as possible. That MVP is embarrassing. I would love to go back and see a screenshot of it. I know that it, it, it would be so bare bones. But it did the MVP. I mean, it scheduled Reddit posts and told you how they performed. The very basic feature that you would expect in something like this. Um, and tried and got it out in about 10 weeks, yeah. So that's where, so some software developers talk about when they look at the stair-step approach and they look at a step one business, very simple thing. They say, you know, what if I can just ship the whole thing or ship an MVP in like four weeks, five weeks, of nights and weekends especially. I often say, I don't know if I'd validate then. If I can just ship, that's actually a pretty quick way to validate. You know, maybe I'd have one conversation or maybe I'd, I'd do a little less, but it's not like if I have to go six months, I need to, I need to know that there's going to be some type of traction for this. Getting it out in 10 weeks, I mean, 10 weeks is not nothing, but especially nights and weekends, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. What was the reception like? Like, did you, did you launch it on, did you do Product Hunt or Reddit or Hacker News? I did Reddit, Product Hunt, Twitter, Indie hackers, I posted it everywhere. And, and the reception was, uh, frankly, crickets. You know, I mean, you can put all this work into it and do this big, this big uh, grand reveal, but at three or 400 followers at the time, there was mostly just, oh, that's cool. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it took a, quite a while to actually even get that first paying customer. I remember it was, uh, I think it was July. So it took a few months to even get to that point of just kept working on it, kept working on it, talking about it. And got that first person to pay me $8 a month for a subscription uh, at the time. Boy, that was one of the most exciting $8 I've ever made in my life when that, when that finally happened. So Yeah, I love that. I love that. Do you have a memory of like seeing the email or getting the yes. ding? Yeah. Yep, I was in my car and, uh, and saw it at the grocery store. And I was like, That's holy so cool. cow, someone in the world <laughs> thinks something I made has enough value that they're like, right. here's eight bucks for that. Thank you. You know, something I should have asked at the top was give, to give us an idea of where the business is at today. Yeah, so, I mean, it's grown a ton since then. 
And these days we're up to still just a pretty small group of three of us, a scrappy group. I'm the only founder, but have since found a, a software engineer who's excellent. I've worked with him before and a so- support person. Uh, and we're now at, you know, in the mid six figures ARR range uh, and, and growing pretty well. Did you think when that $8 came through, did you think, you know what? In a couple of years, mid six figures, I'm calling my shot. I'm Babe Ruth in it. I'm Never. It, it, it took me, I mean, it took me two years to even accept that this is like, I, I need to go all in on this, you know, that very risk averse and really got it to the point where it didn't feel as risky anymore because it was making a true salary amount of ARR. So I felt I could go all in. And so I really took it the slow and steady and kind of risk averse way. Uh, that's sort of my, my style, I guess. Yep. And the style of many. And so folks know the context, like you launched it in March, you got to 1K MRR by the following January. So it took nine or 10 months, right? It did. Yeah. Took several months to get that, you know, the first customer in the first place and just that slowly, slowly every month getting four customers and then eight customers and then 20, you know, it just Mm -hmm. kind of kept growing. And you did a you did something. I would almost call this a growth hack. I know people don't like that term, but you did kind of a growth hacky does not scale thing right at the start. You want to tell us about that? Yeah. So I mean, Reddit has a, a decent API that has a lot of great endpoints that you can get. You know, Reddit data is really valuable, really good stuff. And so in the early days, I mean, this is like June, July of 2020. Wrote some scripts to see, you know, who are the users who are submitting the most posts, because in theory, those are the folks who would most benefit from a scheduler like this. And, you know, tried to find who those common posters are across a bunch of different subreddits, and just sent cold DMs to see if they would be interested. As you can imagine, most cold DMs, most people didn't say anything. Maybe 1% sent me a not so happy reply. But then, you know, every now and then a few people per day would, would be like, that's really cool. That's awesome. And I'll check it out. And it, and it was a good fit for them. So the kind of thing that really doesn't scale well and haven't done that in years, but in the early days, it was a good way to just get anyone to care. Yep. And you scrapped to 1K MRR in about nine or 10 months. Then you continued working full time at Zapier until October of 2022, right? Because you applied to Tiny Seed. And you were doing 10K or a little more than that when you applied? Yeah, I was north of 10K uh, MRR at the time I quit. And funny enough, I actually put my notice in at Zapier. This is like October of 2022, before getting accepted into Tiny Seed. And then a week later, got the email from you all that I had been accepted. And so I really wanted to do this either way. But then when I got that email, it was like, all right, this is this is the right thing to do for sure. That is cool. And folks who listen to the show know that I don't make the podcast an advertisement for Tiny Seed. So, you know, with it, I have a couple questions for you about your experience, not to to say, well, look how great Tiny Seed is. But I am curious, like there was a thought process there of like, should I do Tiny Seed, right? It's like, why, why do it, I guess is my question. Yeah, I talk to a lot of, you know, I, I try to have as many sort of mentors around me as I can. I, I'm, I really value other people's input, especially folks who have done what I'm hoping to do. Um, and so I talk to a lot of people about, is this the right decision or not? And ultimately, I just thought getting in, in this community of other people who are doing the exact same thing, especially as a solo founder who doesn't have another founder to bounce ideas off of, I just thought there's going to be so much value in the mentorship and the camaraderie of like other folks who are also going through the tiny seed process at the same time as me and have companies that are around the same size as mine. Uh, so that it just ultimately felt like the right thing to do. And over the last year, you've grown by several X, right? 
Yeah. So, I mean, since joining Tiny Seed in, in uh, November of last year, it's been about 13 months, but we've grown 3.4x uh, annual yeah. recurring revenue in, in that time. That's got to feel good. What's, so, yeah. what's been, what's been working? Like how did, you know, someone listening to this is like, well, if I was at 10 or 12 KMRR and I wanted to grow substantially, why do you think you're where you are today? I think a big part of it, you know, it's, it's hard to give an app a ton of, or a company, a ton of focus as a side hustle. I mean, I really was giving Zapier my full 40 hours and then working, you know, Saturday, Sunday mornings, evenings, but it's just hard to really focus on big initiatives at a company when you're doing something like that. And so I think having the full time working on Postpone to really dive into like, what are the big things customers are asking for? Not something I can just knock out on a Saturday morning, but a big multi-week initiative, a feature or a new new way to position the product that is going to have a really big impact. Uh, and like that, that kind of stuff has been, you know, night and day. You could see the line just trend differently as soon as I could start getting these really big impactful, valuable features out much more quickly. Are you telling me that focus helped you grow faster? Focus. It's focus. Just focusing on it. Yeah, not splitting my attention. Well, why didn't you launch four or five more apps to see what sticks? Because isn't that, sorry, a little, little start for the rest of us drinking game joke there. Yeah, you actually, I believe you published a graph on Twitter. It was with the MRR removed, but it was a, it was a graph of your MRR with no, with no Y-axis. And there were two inflection points where you kind of bootstrap or hockey stick. One, you pointed there, I said, join Tiny Seed, which I was like, oh, warms my heart. And the second one was increased prices. So tell us about, and that was, was it a little bit, was it a lot bit of a and I busting your chops, Tiny Seed playbook, raise prices, or did you already have it in the back of your head? I mean, it was, it was almost exclusively you all busting my chops. I mean, I think a and you both, we had a, a meetup at one point, uh, and I think you both said, if, if we do nothing else but you get, get you all to raise your prices by the end of this, we will have succeeded. We will have succeeded, yeah. That's pretty much the mantra. And, and I thought, well, I guess I should probably do right. that then. So you, you did raise prices, what, it was June of this year, so it was about five, six months ago, right? Yes. You, that was when you launched, because you were Reddit only until then, I believe, and now you have Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So you, you launched the Twitter support, and you increased your prices about how much to give people an idea? Yeah. So about 20%. So we had like a $19 a month plan that went up to 25. We had a $39 a month plan that went up to 49 and so on. So about a 20, 25% or so increase. Uh, and yeah, I tried to coincide with the launch of that of Twitter support. So it didn't just feel like increasing prices. It's also, Hey, I'm getting like twice the value as I was before. I can now connect more accounts and manage them all from one platform. And, you know, paying a little bit extra, I don't mind doing that. Did you grandfather existing customers or raise the prices on existing customers as well? So I tried a, I, so I didn't end up raising prices for everyone, despite the advice I got from several folks was to go ahead and just rip that Band-Aid off. But ultimately I decided to go with a, an approach where I introduced brand new plans, but only include Twitter support on those new plans. So folks are grandfathered in on their old plans. If they want to keep that, they can. But these newer plans are where we're going to start adding new platforms like Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And so for access to those, you do have to upgrade. And so it was a good way to entice folks to to upgrade if they want to, but also not feel like they're being forced to. And we've what we found is, you know, a huge percentage of our customers use one of those other platforms and and gladly upgraded to the newer plans in order to bring on more accounts, plus expanded onto higher tiers 
in order to connect more accounts because we, you know, we do kind of limit some of our tiers, plan tiers by, by number of accounts connected. And so it's been great for both bringing in new customers and, and expansion revenue as well. Got it. And your average revenue per account has gone up pretty substantially as well. Yeah. And that, that was not just increasing prices. That was also adding higher tiers, which is where kind of where we started first. Just don't have your highest tier be $99 a month because then no one can pay you more than $99 a month. And so adding on those higher tiers, I think, went a long way as well. Right. Because you have a more for agencies plan, basically, that's above your 99, right? And so when they come in and there's people can go to postpone.app slash plans if they want to see what, you, what you've added in there. So you didn't have the agency plan at this point? Not really. No. I mean, we had plans that would support, you know, multiple accounts, but we called it like ultimate or something like that. We weren't really speaking the language of agencies themselves because we were mostly marketing toward creators. But it was a really missed opportunity for a long time to bring in these agencies who are willing to pay more uh, and churn less often as well. So it's been really big for Postpone's ARR. I often say that raising prices is technically easy to do. It's like, I'm going to change the Stripe call. I'm going to hide a, change the number on my pricing pit. You know, you, you do some stuff. Technically, it's usually not terrible. The big block is usually emotional. It's a mental thing of like, I might break my business. I'm going to make people mad. Is, is it even the right thing? You know, there's a lot of, it's a big change. It could break the business. Did you experience that before recent prices? I did. I mean, it was, it was scary to do. I had to have friends and, and, and just people I know come in and talk me up a little bit that, hey, it's going to be okay. You, you can always roll it back if it goes horribly. And so I finally did do it, but it was, it was something I was pretty hesitant about and, and was really afraid that like, you know, new signups are just going to fall off a cliff if we do this. And shockingly, I mean, I've, I've shown you the ARR graph. I can also show you the subscriptions graph. And it also went up. We raised prices and number of subscriptions went up as well, which, which seemed completely counter to me. But we, that's what, what had happened over the next few months as well. That's incredible. It's a, it's a good story. And most cases, it, that's what happens. Like we, we, I'm invested in 171 companies across Tiny Seed. And, and my own personal portfolio. And almost all those have raised prices at one point. And if they haven't, and they're listening to this, they should raise the f***ing prices right now. But no, but, but seriously, the, the usual result is that everything goes up and to the right. And obviously, the counterintuitive part is you can raise prices too far. Like if you doubled all your prices today, it might work or it might not. You know, at a certain point, like it, you're just priced too high. The alternatives are cheaper, they're easier, they're whatever. If you're easy to switch away from and there are alternatives, you just can't, you know, there's only so much elasticity. But even with that in mind, I can't remember the last time a tiny C company raised their prices and then had to roll it back. And with every batch of companies, every six months, we fund 20, 25, 27 companies, more than half of them, probably significantly more than half, raise their prices during the batch year. So this is, a, this is a lot, you know, and I, I don't know the exact number, but obviously it's dozens and dozens. It may approach a hundred, but it's a lot. And I cannot remember, I've had people raise prices and need to change the, oh, we got the value metric wrong. Or like, we need to tweak the plan. We need to do some stuff. But to raise prices and then truly roll back, I don't know that I remember a time when that's happened. And so that it's an interesting, it's anic data, but, but nonetheless, it is usually the right call, specifically if you haven't done it in a while. Or never done it, I think, in your case, right? 
Yeah, well, I've I done it a few times. Like I said, we launched with an $8 plan. I That's think our, right. our highest tier was like $25 at, at launch. Got it. But at the time, I truly didn't understand customers and, and what they'd be willing to pay, what their price sensitivity was. So, but we hadn't raised prices in over two years. And, you know, I, I sent everyone an email and, and really included this laundry list of like, this is all the amazing things we've added in the last two years, as well as this new Twitter support um, that we're launching. And I think that that really helped to show folks you know, like the, the app has grown so much in, in that time. And, and there's been so much extra value that, that you've been getting that, you know, it makes these, the price increases maybe not, maybe just go down a little bit better. But frankly, I wish I would have done it six months earlier or soon after joining Tiny Seed, based on how well it went. And that's the thing. If you're in a, if you're in a very slow moving space, you can evaluate prices every year or two. If you're in a faster moving space, like marketing technology, MarTech, right? Like you're in. Every six to 12 months to me is an evaluation. Doesn't mean you raise every time, but like I used to have a notebook because I'm old school of all the, the major drip competitors. And I would write down all the prices that were, that were published. And about every six months, nine months, I would go and I'd redo that. And I just had pages and pages of notebook and I would compare them and be like, what are these other people doing? Like that was a mental evaluation for me. And I would also, and it wasn't just like, it's not just competitors, right? There's what are your customers saying? What features have we added? Do we need to rework our value metric? What's, is it working? Is not. So there's more to evaluation than just looking at competitors. But that's where fast moving space like yours, I do think that if you're not, that pretty seriously considering changing your prices, uh, raising them or tweaking value metric about every year, I think you're going to fall behind a little bit. Part of what makes it scary is, you know, once you realize you're raising your prices and, and becoming maybe the most, you know, your prices are now a little bit higher than some of your competition. You know, there are other post schedulers out there, certainly, but the Reddit space is pretty niche still. And of the ones that do exist, you know, their prices are a little bit lower. And so just coming to accept that you know, we're going to be the higher priced one, but that's going to be because we offer so many, so much extra value that you simply can't get from competitors in a much better package and just being okay with not being the least expensive one. Right. We're not cheap because we're not cheap, right? There's a, there's an ad, I think I mentioned it in the episode that went live last week about, you don't, you don't have to be the cheapest and own that actually. No, we're not cheap because we're the best. You, you can't get anywhere near this from, from other tools. Speaking of Reddit, I remember a Reddit API debacle that happened, say, in the last four or five months. Folks <laughs> listening, if they didn't pay attention, you want to catch them up on what happened. And I want to drive home. You are a scheduling app for Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. But you were solely Reddit for, what, two years? And that is still the bulk of your business. So to hear that the Reddit API had any this platform risk, right? That's what we're going to talk about here. But to hear that that had some difficulties, I remember stressed you out a lot. And you and I talked, we did some Zoom calls, we did some, some slacks and, and it was a little bit tenuous. So why don't you tell the, tell the full story? Because this is great, I think, for people to hear, to understand platform risk sometimes doesn't work out and sometimes, you know, you can, you can get around it. Yeah, I, it, was, it was definitely a scary time. It was in April, 2023, I think, when uh, so Reddit sort of- months ago. Yeah, they, they, they announced some- new API pricing, but they didn't, they weren't specific about what the pricing would be. They just said that API pricing is coming and will be required. Uh, it will, it'll be required to pay for the API essentially. And so, you know, that just inherently you get a little, a little hesitant because you don't know what that means. And, you know, is this an existential risk or not? And I think hadn't Twitter just done their API thing where they were like, suddenly we're charging 
twelve thousand dollars a month or some insane number. Yeah, and started at forty two thousand. Forty two thousand a month, like it's yeah. bananas. And so yeah. I remember you and I got on a call, and you're like, "I'm concerned Reddit's going to charge forty two thousand a month." It's <laughs> like we can't. Yeah, well, exactly, and that was that was a big part of it. I mean, if if the pricing is fine, no big deal. Happy to pay it. If it's forty two thousand dollars a month, then that there's the existential risk. I mean, you just got to close up shop. Uh, and to be clear to folks, the, the Twitter uh, pricing has changed as well. It's they now have a hundred dollar tier. $5,000 tier and $42,000 tier. So they, they have added multiple tiers since then. But Reddit did come forward with their API pricing about six weeks later in May. And fortunately for Postpone, it was something that just based on the nature of our business, the average revenue per user and the number of API calls we make, totally doable, you know, ended up working out just fine. For third-party Reddit clients who have a huge amount of free users who are using tons of API calls all day, every day. Uh, it was an existential risk, unfortunately, for, for many of them, and much lower average revenue per user for those as well, because they're very, you know, B2C kind of mobile apps. Um, but fortunately for Postpone, it, it was something that we could we could handle and ended up not being a big issue. But for a while there, it was like, what do we do? You know, this, this could be it right here, um, because we had all the eggs in the, the Reddit basket at the time. And it was touch and go. Like, I remember you were pretty stressed because it was truly potentially existential, that it would destroy the company. And there was no, you hadn't launched. Now I'm remembering, you said it was April. So you hadn't launched Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, right? Because those came in June, I think. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's where the benefit of being in tiny seed really came up because we added Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok because of a conversation I had with you where you said, I think it's just, it's just time to expand. It was, it was a great way to, for Postpone to diversify a bit, and I think it was definitely the right call. And also a way to get a little more MRR, a little more average revenue per Yeah, so. more MRR, make it a little more sticky, lots of benefits that came with, with diversifying. Well, I'm glad the platform risk didn't, didn't wipe you off the face of the earth uh, this time. Me too. But it is, I mean, it's scary. I mean, there are folks who built Twitter apps who, you know, their, their app didn't exist after the $42,000 a month pricing came out, and they just had to close up shop. So it's something that I think about quite a bit, and its platform risk is is real. So you have to you have to keep that in mind and really ask whether it's you know something you can you can work around or if it's truly existential. I think I want to wrap up with this question: of you're a successful bootstrap, mostly bootstrap entrepreneur. You're in an envious, you're in an enviable position that I think a lot of listeners of this podcast would love to be in. With that in mind. What do you wish that you were doing better right now as the founder and operator and CEO of Postpone? Great question. I started working on Postpone as a software engineer at, at Zapier. Really wonderful company that I, I enjoyed working with them, but I just wanted to build these other skill sets as well. But I found that, that in building Postpone and building up this, this product and this small company, I still spend a lot of my time building, working on product stuff. I still feel like an engineer at heart. And you you simply have to focus on marketing as well. If I could go back, I would tell myself to spend three times as much as I'm spending on marketing uh, over the last couple of years, whether that's working on SEO, building landing pages, especially signing up for affiliate programs that your users can join and things like that. Don't get into a rut of of just building and building and building and thinking, if I build this feature, then they will come because they might not. So definitely sticking with marketing would be a big thing for me to focus on. Huge recommendation to the book, 
I think it is called Traction. By Gabriel Weinberg. Yeah, finding customer acquisition channels, trying out new ways of marketing. Like that huge uh, shout out to that book, which which really kind of opened my eyes to how to, to start getting a little bit of leverage on on these different like marketing avenues and really doubling down on the ones that work. Grant McConaughey, it's been great having you on the show. You are G McConaughey on Twitter. And we will link that up in the show notes because your last name is not the easiest to spell. It is not, no. And we will also try to find your tweet with the graph of your MRR because I thought that was really cool. And, and we'll link that in the show notes as well. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Rob. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Grant for coming on the show. It's great to be back in the saddle doing some interviews. I'm done with a ton of travel this fall. And so I'm trying to schedule a few guests to come on the show. I look forward to seeing you back again next week. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 693.